Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Gene Signorini. And as always, I'm excited for today's episode and our guest. Today's guest is a master certified executive coach by the MECO Leadership Institute, and also the author of the book, You're an Executive, But Are You a Leader?, which was number one on Amazon in four leadership and management categories. She currently serves as CEO at Executive Leadership Consulting. Please welcome to the show, Sonia Shelton. Sonia, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here and um, looking forward to our conversation. I'm really excited to dig in today. Uh, we've got some great stuff to talk about. And one of the things we always like to start out asking our guest is kind of a big picture question, which is what do you see as the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today? Yeah, I, I want to um, kind of zoom out for a second and talk about what's happening in the world right now. So we have we have a pandemic, we have um, supply chain issues, we have high turnover and the great resignation and a talent shortage, and we have this speeding up of technology, and it's all hitting at the same time. And the frontline workers are actually taking the brunt of it. So if you if you look at all of those categories. The front line is at the front line of every single one of those things. And, um, and it's resulting in a lot of, I would say, burnout, um, fatigue, and, and anxiety. You know, I think there's some research that came out that um, a high percentage, between 70 and 80% of Gen Z and millennials are feeling anxiety as a result of work, right? And I, so I think it's looking at um, that challenge is hitting the front line from every angle, and we don't know how long that's going to last. We don't know um, how how you know what else is going to come up, and it's it's really a time of uncertainty. Yeah, I mean that's that's certainly a common theme that you know we're hearing today. Um, the uncertainty. The other thing you mentioned is the anxiety, which I think is a, a really big issue. You know, I, I think frontline workers in general just like everyone, you know, have their anxieties uh, around work, and it seems to be only getting exacerbated these days. Yes, absolutely. And, um, and it's something that we need to address as leaders, right, leaders in organizations to, um, to think about their mental health and, and um, help them get through it with all of these changes that are happening. So I think that's a great segue because, you know, you know, there's the, the, the title of the program is Frontline Innovators, right? And we talk a lot about frontline workers. I know you deal a lot with executives and executives are the furthest away from the frontline, but certainly you have experience in kind of connecting those two different personas. I'd love to talk a little bit about, uh, maybe you can tell us about executive leadership consulting and what, what you do and your organization does to kind of help uh, leaders, um, particularly as they're kind of facing some of these challenges that you just described. 
Yes, absolutely. So, um, so where our focus at Executive Leadership Consulting is on aligning the business strategy with the culture. So sometimes um, organizations will will lean more towards one side or the other, where they're more focused on the business strategy and not paying attention to the culture, or the culture just sort of evolves organically. And then other companies are really focused on the culture and not so uh, focused on the business strategy and that can impact their growth, right? So we look at how can you get them working together and, and align. So we say, you know, there's that, um, that quote that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And we say, um, actually, they need to have breakfast together. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so that's how we help leaders, you know, in, in from every level, from the executive team, all the, all the way to the front line. Yeah. I first of all, I love that quote. It, I, it, you know, I think it's been attributed to Peter Drucker, although that may be apocryphal. Um, and, um, but I may be stealing your quote from now on to use in <laughs> presentations and such, because I, I, I love that, that they need to eat breakfast together. I, I, I do think it's rare, right. To hear those two things talked about in conjunction. Um, and I think it's especially important today in light of some of those things that you mentioned just a few minutes ago. Yeah, absolutely. What in the context of uncertainty, especially, you know, what helps you know, even think of for yourself, like where, where do you, where do you find, get centered in times of uncertainty? It's, it's creating some certainty. So, you know, maybe breaking it down to smaller pieces or really focusing on the purpose, the why, um, why we're doing what we're doing. And so, you know, helping leaders get, you know, starting with that purpose and their vision and making sure that um, they have that sense of meaning and belonging at every level of their organization um, tied to the business, right? So it's not just um, it's not just culture for the sake of culture or, make, or trying to make people feel good. it's it's how do they how do they have purpose and meaning behind what they're doing? Yeah. so um, and obviously, you know, I'd love to talk about you know how you kind of got here. I know that you know you have had you've had experience at companies, you know, working at companies which have kind of a um, some very unique cultures, right. And great leadership, Walt Disney company comes to mind. Right. Um, so talk a little bit about how you kind of, you know, evolved in your career to kind of get to where you are in, in kind of trying to connect and help other leaders, you know, make that connection between strategy and culture. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually started my career in, um, in journalism and then went to marketing and advertising. So I, so I, communication has always been part of um, an aspect of what I do. And, and I, and before starting uh, ELC, I did work at the Walt Disney company as the head of internal communications. And I worked there at a unique time when uh, we had a shareholder revolt uh, where a member of the Disney family was ousting the CEO, Michael Eisner. So as the head of internal communications had a front row seat to, um, to this, this concept of strategy and culture and, all, and also what can happen in an organization when leadership is disrupted. And uh, just saw the opportunity to help other organizations as we got through that at Disney and, and ended up in a very um, positive and growth oriented trajectory after that, um, you know, saw that I could help other companies with that and, and started, um, started ELC at that time. So, and, and well, it's it's clear you've got a way with words, right? From that, you know, flipping the the old quote on its head. But I also love the title of your book. You're an executive, but are you a leader? Um, so, talk a little bit about the book. Like, how did it come about? 
And then I'd love to maybe dive in a, a couple of highlight points of what's the difference between an executive and a, and a leader? What makes an executive a leader? Yeah, absolutely. The, the book actually came out of my own personal story um, where it was for when I was at Disney and I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. Like we had talked about, you know, my parents were talking business and leadership at the dinner table every night. And so, so I, I kind of got that by osmosis. I didn't realize, you know, um, my connection to leadership, how much I learned from my parents until later. But while I was at Disney, I got um, a 360 survey review. So um, getting feedback from different parts of, of who I, different people that I worked with. And my team um, said, you know, you're, the feedback that I got from them was you're running so fast ahead of us that we can't keep up with you. And we've kind of given up wanting to. Hmm. And, um, and, and it, it was, it was like a stab to the heart. Right. And I, um, I, I realized that, you know, that we can fall into, and it, it connects to the culture piece too, because we can fall into the culture that we're living in and kind of, even, even if it's not who we think we are, we sort of fall into how the culture is. And, um, it was just a realization that, that a lot of leaders go through that and, and go, going, relying on the the strength of their position or or running up the hill towards the vision so fast that the the team can't keep up with them and um and that's what led to me wanting to help other leaders with it and, and so you know maybe some some finer points of the you know or high high level points of the book I, I i would encourage folks i've i've read some of it myself i know you provided to me graciously thank you very much and and i'm looking forward to getting through the rest of it um i would encourage folks to take it out but you know, you know, if you were to kind of, you know, high, high level, what's the difference between executive or what makes an executive a, a true leader? Yeah, I think that it's, it's recognizing that you need to have followers, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are, if you're just relying on your position or your title or, um, you know, the, 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 the quote unquote power that the organization has given you through that title, um, then you, you have, you have compliance, you don't have followers, right? So, so it's really about how can you um, inspire people and lead them towards a vision. And, and I talk in the book about, you know, creating one vision, one voice and one direction so that you can, in, in, and it connects to these, these times of uncertainty, right? So that, that um, you can move faster and, and everybody understands where we're going. They understand their role and they understand um, how we're going to get there. Yeah. I, you know, it's really interesting when you, you, you kind of had, you, you talked about that review you received and that line just really kind of resonated with me, which is you're moving. I think you said you're moving so fast that we can't keep up with you and we've stopped trying or don't even want to anymore. You know, I think about that when I think about, you know, you talked about all the change that's happening, you know, particularly to the front line. So we bring it back to the frontline worker. I feel like there's, there's, probably that sentiment among many frontline workers uh, in organizations, particularly today, which is we can't keep up. Right. And, and when you feel like you can't keep up, you know, it's like, we, we've just stopped trying. So I, I'd love you to kind of, you know, connect the dots a little bit, you know, which is, okay, you know, what are you seeing? How are you seeing then leaders and executives, right? Trying to make that connection back to their frontline. As I said, they're probably the most removed, right, from their frontline workforce. And those frontline workforces, 
are probably the most important to the success of their business. So have you seen any examples where custom companies have, have, have started to kind of really rethink their approach to that? Yeah, I think a lot of companies lose sight of what being a frontline worker means, right? So they're on the front line, which means they're closest to the customer. And uh, one organization that I worked with in China, they, they were, um, the company had a hotel and three restaurants and they, the CEO there actually, when he showed me his org chart, it was actually flipped upside down. So the, the frontline workers were at the top of the org chart and he was at the bottom. And I loved his philosophy because he said, and I stayed in his hotel and I ate at a couple of the restaurants and I have never had such an incredible customer experience in my life, a guest experience in my life. Um, and I didn't speak the language, so even more so, right? So, um, but he looked at it like those, those frontline workers are the closest to our guests and we have to make sure that they have everything they need to be able to provide those guests with the best possible customer experience, right? So, so everybody in the organization, all the way down to the C, what he would say down to the no. CEO, right? Um, is their, their whole job is to make sure that those frontline workers can be the best they can be and deliver the best service they can be. And I think, I think it's, um, you know, sometimes when we look, when we have that, our, our uh, up, upright pyramid looking at the organization that way, we lose sight of the fact that those are the people that are helping make the money, right? <laughs> right? Those are the people that are uh, the make or break of the success of the company um, at every level, right? So, so really, so rather than having them be at the bottom, really putting them as your top priority to make sure that they have everything they need to be able to do what they do. Yeah. I mean, that's a fantastic anecdote. Um, and you know, it also got me, gets me thinking back to one of the other things you said, which is, you know, in order to be a leader, you have to have followers. And it almost feels like in this case, they've kind of flipped it where the CEO is, is following the lead from the front line, which is, right. is kind of a, a very interesting way to kind of think about, um, think about that, that problem. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what was interesting was this was, at a, at a different time, right? So I, it wasn't when there was a talent shortage, but he, he constantly had turnover from other companies trying to, um, to poach his people because they were the best at customer service. But they, when they would go to those other companies, they didn't show up the same because they didn't have that support, yeah. right? So, um, so uh, you know, his competitors thought they were buying a certain talent and what they were actually buying was the leadership. Yeah. And I guess it connects back to culture, right? Cause you can bring in an employee, but you can't necessarily bring in or replicate that, that culture, right? right. Just by, by bringing in an employee. So, you know, I, I'd love to peel back the onion on this a little bit, right. Which is to say, you know, like, it's great. It sounds like, you know, an org chart is one thing, right. Flipping the org chart. Anybody can literally flip an org chart upside down, right. On a piece of paper or on a PowerPoint slide, but obviously there's more to it than that. And, and obviously you experience, it was like, well, something it's, you know, something is going on beside just flipping that, that diagram upside down because you experienced it firsthand. No, this is a, a fantastic culture. So what are kind of the steps, right. You know, that, organizations and leaders need to put in place to create, as you said, that foundation to support that frontline workforce? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's, you know, going back to that purpose and vision, does everybody understand um, 
where we're going as an organization and, and why. why. Why are we doing what we're doing? And then, um, and then looking at the people, like so, so not just from that bigger picture, what's our purpose and vision, but what is your specific role contributing to that? And, um, and then, you know, and what is our plan to get there? And, and really looking at, um, and you're looking at every dimension, you know, I see a, so culture is looking at every dimension of the organization from, do you have the right processes in place? Do you have the right training? Do you have, um, do you have the right organizational structure, you know, so, and, and, and do people understand their roles? And then looking at also, times of celebration, right? So I think sometimes, especially in the times that we're in right now, in times of uncertainty, we can lose sight of making sure that we're celebrating those small wins along the way. And, and, um, and the research shows actually that we have our best days when we feel like we've accomplished something that day, right? When we've, we've made progress towards a goal. So really looking for those opportunities to say, you know, maybe there's this bigger picture goal that you have, but what are the small things that you can celebrate to keep people going and keep, keep people motivated and see that they're making progress and they're not just on a treadmill or they're, they're just, um, they, they don't, you know, they don't see the end in sight in the times of uncertainty, you know, feeling like there's little milestones along the way where they're feeling like they're achieving something. Yeah. I, it certainly seems like that's very important these days, because you said like that feeling of accomplishment, have I accomplished something? And I'm sure these days where we've got staff shortages, where people are, you know, being asked to do more, right. With less, it probably doesn't, they probably feel like they haven't accomplished anything because they're so underwater. Mm -hmm. um, and then on top of it, the, the, the other end is probably companies don't feel like they have the time to set aside, to kind of celebrate those little successes. Right. Um, are there any kind of, you know, what are some of the ways that companies can do that in in a crazy time, a time where it doesn't seem like they have any time to do that? Yeah, I think um, I think it's redefining what you mean by celebration. Yeah. Right. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean having a party or a happy hour or bagels in the morning or you know, things like that. It's it's actually connecting with people um, emotionally. Right. Saying you know, Jean, I saw, um, I saw that you met your goal today for the, for the things that you needed to get done. That's really great. That is moving us towards our vision. And this is how, right. Um, it's, it's taking that 10 seconds to actually appreciate them and have gratitude. And, and, um, you know, in times of uncertainty, we need to build up our resilience and, and, gratitude and appreciation um, go a long ways, not only for, for building that, building up that resilience, but also building up trust with, with, um, with your teams. Yeah. So, um, you know, you mentioned your background in communications and, and your role at Walt Disney Company. And, and then you talked about this concept of, you know, making sure that everyone understands kind of the vision right? That that's communicated through or everybody understands it. So, you know, communication obviously plays a large part in that. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, best practices for communication or maybe where you've seen companies struggle in really disseminating that message and making sure everybody is really and truly on the same page? Yeah, absolutely. I've actually used, um, used digital transformation as a way to 
think about this, right? So I know a lot of your audience are involved in digital transformation. So making it applicable there, um, you know, if you're, if you're looking at your project, what is the purpose of the project? Why are we doing this? What's the vision of the project, right? Do we have the right people involved? So, um, so, so, what will it look like? What is this going to do for you? What is it going to do for not only for the company, but what is this going to yeah. do for you? Right. So a lot of um, digital transformation projects, hopefully are designed to make things easier for the front line, even though it might feel harder at first. Right. Um, but to, to, to keep them focused on what are, you know, what's in it for them at the end and why is it worth going through this? Um, and, and, you know, it might be in that time of change a little bit more challenging, but why is it worth it? And I, I think it's, um, you know, one of the examples that I use when I do uh, seminars or, or workshops with people when it comes to communication is the importance of consistency. Um, and an exercise that I use is I have them, I, I say, you can't reach into your pocket or your wallet, now draw a penny. And how many hundreds, maybe even millions of times have you seen a penny in your lifetime and no one can draw it, right? And it's it's sort of a, um, they remember certain aspects of it, but they don't remember details. And it's like, that's how communication is, right? We, we might remember, you know, a couple of points, but we might not remember everything we were told. And if we're not hearing it consistently, um, then we're not going to remember it. And it's, so it's the same with the vision. If you're not talking about it consistently and, and not just repeating it, but looking at, oh, this team over here um, achieved this goal or completed this project or uh, reached this milestone. And this is how it's moving us towards our vision. Here's another example of how we're making progress towards our vision, or this, this person came up with this idea and this idea is how we're, it's gonna help us get to our vision, right? Looking at different opportunities to keep bringing it back in different ways. Yeah, I think it's, it's really interesting. And I'm glad you brought up, you know, a digital transformation as an example, because I find, you know, when it comes to digital transformation efforts, a lot of companies focus on the technology piece, right? And not so much on the change management element, right? Whether that's communication or training is, as you mentioned, um, you know, what are you, what are you seeing? What do you see from companies when they're, you know, specifically when they're talking about technology change or digital transformation, are they kind of aware of the need for these elements or are they kind of slow saying, oh yeah, we hadn't really Kind of thought about where do they start to think about it? I guess my I guess my question should be: Do they really think about it at the beginning when they're thinking about those transformation initiatives? Yeah, I think um, one of the things I just read made me think about this differently. In that, um, I think it was Dell that, that was talking. They look did a survey of organizations to say, you know, how many how many organizations are looking at doing digital transformation? It was something like eighty percent. But what stood out to me was that 50% of those said, we don't think that we can do it fast enough. And the, where I see the danger in that is, is that they will look past the people aspect, right? That the, the more, um, what I see a lot of organizations doing is sort of, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll get to that later when it's time, when we're going live and, and we'll do the communications and training, you know, at the end. Um, and for, for us, that, that change process happens at the very beginning, starting with the executive level, right? We've seen time and time again, projects get halted 
delayed, canceled because executives weren't on board. They were they didn't approve the budget or they didn't understand the changes and um, that wait 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 we have to stop everything until we get clear about this. And so we usually we start at the very very beginning um, at that executive level to make sure that you have alignment, that you have um, agreement, that everybody understands again what's in it for them. Like what are how are these changes going to impact? them um, and their role and their people. Yeah. I think it's interesting because people generally don't associate, or maybe it's just me, but I think generally you don't associate change management with strategy, right? Change management seems, it seems very tactical, right? Compared to strategy. So, you know, I've, you know, and, and I know we've, we've had a couple of conversations. So, you know, to me, you connecting those dots makes sense, but I'd love you to help the audience a little bit and saying, well, how do you connect the dots between, you know, the tactics of change management with, you know, the overall organization strategy? They just seem so far apart. Right, right. Well, well, um, in an ideal world, the change would have been part of the strategy, right? So, um, and, and in some cases, depending, you know, depending on the company and, and the leadership, um, as you were mentioning, the, the executive levels be, being so far away from the front line, um, they have, they know why they understand the strategy behind the, the change, um, but aren't necessarily sharing that. Right. And, um, and so it's connecting those dots, making sure that that change, that that change is part of a bigger strategy. And I'll actually give you a, an example of a client where it went wrong. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, and those are some of the best examples, right? Cause right, you learn from them. Yeah. Right. Where, um, where there, there was a, a change that was happening on the front line and the business strategy, and it was, I mean, it was costing millions of dollars to, um, to uh, launch a new technology. And what was happening at the strategy level was to actually cut that area of the company and, to, and the business strategy was to no longer do that. But there was a disconnect between what was happening at the strategic level and what was happening at that execution level and all of that time and money and investment wasted because there wasn't a connection between the strategy and the change. And, um, and of course, you know, that's something that's more confidential, more confidential so that the people um, who are actually working on the change didn't know about it, but if they would have been more connected to the executive level and, and had that um, had those conversations, they would have said, Oh, well, they could have said, well, let's, let's wait and delay this maybe six months um, because there's some other things that are happening in the organization that might affect it. And, um, and so the company ended up wasting millions of dollars just because they didn't have alignment between the strategy and the change. Interesting. So um, I'm curious also, you know, in your conversations with uh, executives and leaders in organizations, when you're talking about strategy and, and culture, right? How does technology, right? And digital transformation fit in? Are you seeing it increasingly intertwined with those discussions? Yes, absolutely. And, and I, I would say you can see it's, it's almost like what happens in a digital transformation project is a symptom of what you're seeing in alignment or misalignment between the strategy and the culture, right? So, um, so, you know, going back to, does everybody understand why we're doing this digital transformation? Is, is it naturally 
can, uh, common sense because the strategy has been communicated so much that this this is part of, of course, this is part of what we need to do to get where we want to go, right? As opposed to, oh, this is a change. It feels burdensome. Um, and then also, you know, uh, collaboration, right? And looking at, um, you know, some of the things around digital transformation that we've seen um, is the importance of making sure that everybody understands who's going to be touching it, right? Mm -hmm. So it might not be it might not be somebody who's impacted by it, right? It might not be the frontline frontline worker who's going to actually um, be implementing that, but it's it might be you know somebody who works in data or this particular process over here that it, you know has an input into this new technology, but nobody's really talking to them, and then suddenly it comes up, oh well, we need this from you, and they say, oh, I don't have time for that, right? It wasn't part of my my strategy, right? So. So when you have that connection between understanding, you know, why we're doing what we're doing, and and when the strategy is clear, those changes become um, don't be don't become challenging in the same way, right? They're they're still they're still challenging, but they're more in a positive way because this is what we need to do to get where we want to go. And then there's also again back to communication. Everybody knows about it because it's part of the strategy. Yeah, I think that's a really valuable point right is is kind of what i'm hearing is like recognizing where are all the touch points right or where are all the where are the intersection with what we're doing and all the points where this is going to impact i i know from our experience and in some of my previous experience you know in in digital projects is you know it's often overlooked like one part of the organization may have a very small piece of what needs to be done but people forgot that they were needed to be involved. And then all of a sudden the entire project is at a minimum held up. Right. Um, or, you know, could lead to some unforeseen failure down the line. Right. Um, so I think it's, I, I think it's a great point. And the other thing you, you know, when we talk about the frontline workforce, making sure we're kind of communicating with them, and reaching them. I, I love that, you know, what's in it for them. Right. And that's a, a theme that we've heard from others on this program as well. Right. You know, it, it's not enough to kind of talk about what's in it for the business. It is, how is this going to help you? Right. But I also think one of the challenges that we've seen is, is just the actual nuts and bolts of actually communicating with the frontline. Right. Cause often that happens through many layers of management or, you know, through their supervisor or, and then you've got multiple supervisors and frontline workers are very distributed. In some ways, they're not as well connected as the knowledge workers in your organization. What are some of the things just from a purely tactical standpoint that you've seen is like, okay, well, how do we best communicate with, with those employees? Yeah. What I've seen work the best is getting into their flow, right? So, um, which means understanding their world Right. <laughs> right. So it's not trying to hand down talking points to managers or, you know, or try, you know, kind of trying to make it top down, but really looking at what's, what's the flow of their day? How do they normally get communications? And it might be different, different parts of, uh, or different types of roles get communications different ways. And it's input in, inputting into that flow that's already happening, right? So they're, they're getting direction from their supervisors or their managers already, team leaders, right? So, um, so it's, it's how, how can you give them the tools to just slip that into what they're already doing? 
And so it's not another thing they have to do in an already stressful time. Um, but, and it might mean, you know, for, for, um, for communications people having to do a, a little bit more work in customization and not having just a one size fits all approach, but, re but really looking at, um, so what do we need to do to help this type of role? And what do we need to do to help that type of role um, to make sure that we're getting into their, all, their already established routines rather than trying to make something different? Yeah, I think the irony, of course, is, is also that, you know, let's take a, a digital transformation project or something for, for a frontline workforce. Very often, as you said, those workers have anxiety about it. One of the anxieties we hear all the time is that they think it's this is just a means for the company to kind of keep tabs on what I'm doing, right, to make sure what I'm doing. And, and it often seems like the technology is put in place as a one way mirror, if you will. Right. And, you know, I think that those technologies could be flipped and said, no, no, this is also a tool for you to better understand what's happening, not only around you, but in the organization, more broadly in the organization. Um, but traditionally, those those tools haven't been necessarily provided for the frontline workforce. Yeah, and I think um, I think going back to the, the upside down org chart, right? It's yeah. it's really looking at what do they need to best serve the customer they're serving, um, and if you don't know that, then, and, and, and you're not looking at that ahead of time, you know, say, saying um, the digital transformation plan may already be in place, but if you're not having those conversations, what are your pain points today? Um, what are some of the challenges that you're facing in your processes today? And connecting the dots between what's happening with the technology and their problems, um, then, you're, then you're missing an opportunity, right? To say you're, so then now the technology is an answer to their problem as opposed to something that becomes policing, right? So, um, so I think, you know, in communications, that two-way street and having the opportunity to, um, to understand their world and to get their feedback as well into what's working and what's not working. And one of the things that our team does whenever we're helping a company with digital transformation for frontline is, is we do a day in the life. Like we send, we send one of our consultants to spend a day with somebody and see like, what is their world? What are, their de what are they dealing with? And um, what are the, some of the challenges that they're seeing? And then that makes it easier on the change side to say, okay, so then what training do they need as a result of this? Um, what beyond just the technology itself, do they need additional types of training? And then, um, and then also what's the best way to communicate with them? And how would we talk about this knowing now that we understand their world a little bit better? Yeah. I'm glad you brought up uh, training. Uh, I'd love to pull on that thread a little bit. You mentioned it a bit earlier as well. And obviously we talked about the communication pieces as a critical element, but there's also that, that training piece. Ha have you seen companies taking kind of a, a different or a renewed approach to thinking about uh, or how they think about training in their organizations? Yeah, I think that, um, well, I think it's become definitely something that's become more top of mind. Yeah. Um, especially with the high turnover, the great resignation, talent shortage, when um, when you when you have high turnover with people coming and going, um, I think companies are really looking at how do we put um, training practices in place that are ongoing, right? So that we can um, we can make sure that whoever's coming in gets the best training, and that might look like. Um, more, you know, more automated training, it might, but actually putting something in place that's a standardization of training. 
And I've seen a lot of companies actually doing a buddy system where the new person that comes in, they're getting their, their, you know, their training from the company and, and from their supervisor or their manager, but they also have a peer that is somebody that they're buddied with to understand they can go to with questions that they can, um, they can ask things. They might be embarrassed to ask their boss. Right. Uh, so, so that they have somebody that, that can, like a peer mentor that can help them as they're onboarding. It also helps develop relationships and connect to um, the culture and how things work around here uh, beyond just the normal processes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, I think there's a couple of things there. You know, one is this, this aspect of, you know, training as a continual process, right? Um, I, I think most often people think of training as like, okay, it's one and done, right? You've got your upfront training and, you're good to go and they may never hear from you again. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I think also the other thing you illustrate is just the challenge of, of reaching that frontline worker with training, right. And, and the ways it's traditionally been done. A lot of it, like you said, has been their manager. And we've talked to um, companies and, 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 and organizations who it's, you know, we say, well, how do you train your people? Well, it's typically a one week ride along with their supervisor. And then hopefully by the end of that, they know what they're doing. So this kind of peer, I think you talked about a couple of things. One is this, you know, the ability to have peers that they can tap into and the ability to have access to resources, right. That they continuously can go back to when they need it. Um, So it's refreshing to kind of hear that you're seeing some of those things begin to emerge, you know, particularly for the frontline audience. Yeah. And and I I think um, for me personally, what's a really cool side benefit of the, um, of the, of the peer, the buddy system with the peers is that for those, those people who are acting as the peers, you're starting to develop some leadership skills, right? So they're, they're not necessarily that person's, uh, that person's leader, but they're, they're developing leadership skills to think Mm -hmm. about how would I answer this question? How can I coach them to do this better? You know, and, and um, in a, in a, a low risk way for them to develop the skills. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. We had a, had a conversation with a, a large retailer not too long ago and it was surprising. I had not spoken with them before, but they really talked about training as something central to their culture or very important to their culture. They, they, they looked on it as, you know, this is um, something that we kind of, you could tell in that conversation, it's something they took pride in. Right. And, and, and not only that, but felt it was a true competitive advantage. Um, I'd just be interested in your perspective. Do you hear a lot of companies thinking about it that way uh, or in your conversations with executives and leaders? Is it too far abstracted for them? Yeah, I, th- I think they, they might talk about it a little bit differently in, um, in coming with a growth mindset and how can mm-hmm. we be a learning organization, right? So, so not just the, the training of standards, but how can we question how, what we're doing, uh, what we're doing, how we're doing it? Uh, is it the right thing? Do we need to pivot? Do we need to be more agile? How can, how can we learn from mistakes and, and be able to surface those all the way, all the way to the front line, right? To say, um, giving, empowering people to step up and say, they're allowed to say, this isn't working. And I can see it a, a way that maybe we can do this better and, um, and to make their, their own jobs more fulfilling, but they also feel like, again, to that, those times of uncertainty and anxiety that they, they feel like they have some, 
some say in how things are going when they're able to um, to share ways of doing things more efficiently or more productively. Yeah. Do you see companies, you know, having a, a greater recognition? We always talk a lot of on this on this show, especially about the differences between kind of knowledge workers or office-based workers versus the front line. Are you seeing companies, you know, really kind of taking a, a dramatically different approach to them, at least from a tactical standpoint, even though we're trying to treat them the same culturally, right? We need, we know we need to, you know, everybody in the organization, whether they're in accounting or they're on the retail floor, right, have to have the same understanding of the vision as you talked about. But how are they kind of think about it tactically to say, okay, we've got different roles and, and different people and different needs. How does that kind of play into the things that you've been been talking about today and the conversations you have with your executive leaders. Yeah. And I, and I even think about to my days at Disney, right. You, you have, you have a general culture of a company and a vision for the company, but then you have all these subcultures within the organization too. And it can be by level. It can be by the type, the type, the division or the type of business they're in. So, so when I think about at Disney, like um, the, how we communicated and how we, connected to a cast member that works mm -hmm. in a theme park is completely different than how we would communicate with a journalist at ABC News or somebody at ESPN or somebody who's making a movie at the studios, right? They, they all have, because of the business they're in, they have completely different ways of seeing the world, completely different cultures. Um, and, I, and I think it's the same thing with, you know, knowledge workers and, and, the, and the deskless workers on the front line. They, they have their own type of culture just because of the work that they do. Right. So it's understanding that and, and allowing that and encouraging that, but also seeing that it's part of a bigger picture. So I, I talk to my, my clients. So I live in Los Angeles and I, so I talk to my clients about, you know, I live in Los Angeles. I have an, I, I have a connection to the fact of to Los Angeles. Cause I live here. I also consider myself a Californian cause I live in California. And I also consider myself an American cause I live in the United States. Right. So it's the same thing, you know, and it, and the culture in Los Angeles is very different from the culture in Cleveland, right? Yeah. So, um, but that doesn't mean that we still feel like we're both Americans. We still have a connection that way, right? So, so it's kind of looking at culture in a larger organization that way, where you, you have this, this bigger culture of the company, but then you also have subcultures that are, are just as important and just as effective and also need to be fostered. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's, you, you mentioned this concept of, of, doing kind of the, the day in the life. And that's something that we do at, at Skillful as well. We, we've done, we highly encourage, we've got the saying is you can't design a solution from a, from a boardroom. Right. And, you know, I, I think that's great. I imagine though, that there's probably a disconnect in some cases from executives, right. In from really understanding the day in the life of, of some of their, of their frontline employees. I mean, have you, you know, what are the things that you recommend to them to kind of get over that hurdle? Do you see that disconnect sometimes? Do you kind of walk in with it to a client engagement and say, mm, I don't know that they really get their, you know, I imagine that CEO and the Chinese hotelier, you know, you clearly, you know, probably clearly got it right away. This guy gets it. He understands his folks. And then you may get in other situations where it's like, I think there's a pretty big disconnect here. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think it comes down to, um, you know, when, when I'm coaching leaders on, on their leadership, <clears throat> where I've seen really strong connection are those executives that actually spend time on the front line. You know, they're, 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 um, 
they're they're coming to their location. They're spending time understanding them. They're talking to them. They're doing walk arounds right in factories and things like that to say, you know, um, what it what is what is life like here and and stopping and talking to people and um, and really giving a chance to have that dialogue and and understand that understand some of the challenges that they're facing. And and what I've seen is that the executives that do that. Um, not only understand their business better, but they understand their customers better. And, um, and they're, they're able to see some of the challenges. Um, and, it, and, it, and I would say there's, a, there's definitely a correlation between the leaders that do that and the learning organizations, right? So, the, so leaders that are wanting to learn and, and, and create a culture of learning are the ones that are, that are really staying close to and learning about, uh, about their frontline workers. Yeah. So I, I, t- I usually kind of wrap up the conversation with kind of a, uh, what do you love about what you do and what you hate about what you do? I think I'm going to find it difficult for you to come up with an answer to the second part of that for you, yeah. at least having talked to you for a few minutes, it seems you're, you're pretty passionate. And I usually ask this around technology because people generally have have a love and, and hate with technology who work in it. But what really, what's the thing that you love the most about kind of doing this leadership and executive culture, uh, ex- executive of, of, um, you know, consulting. Yeah. So, so I believe personally, my, my number one value is, 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 um, contribution, right? So, so how can I contribute to a bigger cause? And so for me personally, this is really about, we spend the majority of our waking hours at work. And if we are not fulfilled, that probably much le- means that our life isn't fulfilled, right? And it can bleed into personal life and it can, you know, if we're not happy in our jobs, it can bleed into every other aspect. And so, um, so I love what I, what I do and I'm, I'm passionate about what I do because I can see that turnaround happen when somebody goes from struggling in their job or not really liking their job into into finding meaning in it and finding fulfillment and, um, and seeing how they're contributing and that they also are making a contribution through the work that they do, um, can change their whole life. Right. And so, um, so that's, that's why I do what I do. That's why I love what I do. And, and leaders maybe not always have the perspective that, that, um, how they show up can impact somebody that way. Right. Um, and, and uh, but I will I will say that I think the frustration is the the um, there's nothing that I hate about my job for sure, <laughs> but but I think the frustration is is um, how hard it is to get um, to get leaders to think about and to even get organizations to think about the people as a priority, right? To say um, there there needs to be absolutely 100 percent that business strategy, um, but also the, the importance of culture in connection to that business strategy can really drive competitive advantage. And, and um, so, yeah, it's my mission to try to get that, that uh, awareness out as much as possible. Yeah. And I, I mean, you can't execute on the strategy, right? You can come up with the plan, but you can't execute it without the people in your organization to get it done. Right. 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 So Sonia, this has been a, a wonderful conversation. Uh, some great insights. And I think some very unique insights uh, for the program. I think it's been great. Um, uh, where can people find you uh, if they want to talk to you uh, personally? Is LinkedIn a, a good place to reach out? 
Yes, absolutely. LinkedIn, um, Sonia Shelton at Executive Leadership Consulting. You can find me there. I'm constantly um, providing content on LinkedIn as well. So if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll get uh, lots of free consulting and coaching because um, I'm constantly putting content up there as well. And are you a, a big tweeter at all? Are you on Twitter? I am. I am. My largest following is on Twitter, actually. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so so what, what's your Twitter handle for the folks? My listening? Twitter handle is at Sonia Shelton. And your company website is executiveleader.com, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, be sure to check out Sonia's book, You're an Executive, But Are You a Leader? And it's available on Amazon, correct? And yes, that's awesome. I highly recommend people to check that out. Sonia, this has been a, uh, a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, and joining us and, and speaking with our audience today. Thank you very much for being here. It was a great conversation. So um, we'll wrap it up here. I hope those listening have found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. If so, please share uh, and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. And just a friendly reminder, this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. You can visit the Skillful website at skyllful.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. Until then, see you on the next episode.